Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana. I hope your week is going marvelously well, and I hope you're bearing the summer well. I know for some of our friends listening all over the country, man, it has been rough for you guys this summer. Uh, you're not built for this, and your homes and stuff are not built for this. You're getting a little bit of a taste of what we live with here in southwest Louisiana, uh, or south Louisiana, actually all all summer for like seven months a year, it seems like. Uh, and so I, no, I really do think about you guys often and pray for you and hope that you're faring well and, uh, and that you're, you're making it. Only a, only a few more weeks, maybe for you, a couple more months at, le- at longest to go, and then you'll be, you'll be free. On the contrary, I just want to say thanks to whoever's sending the cooler weather down here because uh, it's just now getting into the hundreds uh, at the end of July, which usually happens like at the, the end of May or in beginning of June. So we've had a little respite for a little while, and we are so very, very grateful. So I uh, just want to thank anybody who's coming along for the first time. Thanks for stopping by and checking out Image Bearers Radio. And for those of you guys that listen, guys and gals that listen uh, regularly, thank you so much for your community and for your support and your uh, just everything you guys are. We appreciate you so very, very much. All right, so enough with the fluff, enough with the prelims. Today, I am super excited uh, to have back on a second time, all the way from Modain, Israel, the home of the Maccabees, my good, good, good friend, and the greatest tour guide in the world, Hanok Young. Hanok, how are you, buddy? Well, I'm busy smiling ear to ear. Uh, you know, I know it's hard for our listeners to tell, uh, and I'm just remembering something that someone told me many years ago said, Hanoch, you definitely have a face for radio. And you know, I, I thought at the time that that was some kind of compliment. Uh, it tends not to be. But Joe, it's great to be here with you, at least virtually, uh, through the wonders of telecommunications. Uh, you know, listening to the saga of the weather, uh, you know, friends of ours in Texas have been taking quite a beating. Um, we, of course, haven't seen a raindrop in several months. We won't see another one for several months. Um, when you come to Israel this time of year, uh, hopefully you'll be able to do that next year. Um, you know, you don't, I tell people, I said, don't waste your, you know, your minutes on your phone, whatever your phone plan is, don't look up the weather in Israel. I said, why is that? I said, well, because we only have three weather reports this time of year. It's either sunny and hot, sunny and very hot, sunny and extremely very hot that's it <laughs> that's uh yeah i can get i can get that but it is it a is it a dry heat i'm using air quotes those of you okay yeah I, I, yeah I, i'm hoping everyone can see you do that um <laughs> and 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 you know anything that comes to israel number one and anything relating to anything i describe about israel is always the well it depends 
Um, <laughs> Jerusalem is dry heat, and it gets cool at night, generally. Uh, Tel Aviv on the Mediterranean is humid. It is like the worst of New York City summers. Modi'in, midway between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, it's interesting. We're in the Shvela, the Judean lowlands. That's lowlands, not low lives uh, for our listeners, you know, just to, to clarify. Uh, we don't have the cool nights that Jerusalem does, but we don't have the humidity as bad as Tel Aviv. So it's just hot. Just hot. Yeah. Yeah. I get just that. hot. We're, yeah. Yeah, whereas as here in, like you mentioned, Texas and other parts of, and you've been here in the summer, um, we've walked to Shabbat service together uh, yes. in the summer, and uh, in, a, in about eight minutes, every single part of your clothing is dripping wet with no rain. It's not raining. Nope. It's just, nope. it's like you have to have gills down here to, uh, <laughs> to, to breathe. Not, not as much, you know, it, it was always enjoyable for me to walk with you in Ritter. always. Um. I've had some experiences back in the past uh, visiting our, our dear, dear friend, Joe Good, Joe and Debbie, uh, you know, walking an hour and a half in Nederland, Texas, uh, you know. And Nederland's not of, that big for those. Yeah. For those of you that know, you but when you get, when you get, know. you know, when, when, when you, when you, when your local guide gives you the wrong directions and, you know, it's funny whenever I'm, you know, traveling and speaking in the U.S. and I'm driving with people and they're kind of confused about what exit to get off. No matter what state they're in, they, they turn around, they look at me. Well, you're a tour guide. No, no, I'm a tour guide in Israel. <laughs> it doesn't help you. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know where oh, to get no. off on I-95 or 684. <laughs> I have no idea. Anyway. Oh, that's good. All right. So, um, so uh, let's talk about a few things I want to discuss. Uh, really, one of the main one of the main topics I want to get to. Um, sometimes our our show is topically based. Sometimes it's just kind of whatever I'm feeling in the week. Um, but lately, it's been parsha based, and we've we've kind of gone through the the parshiot. Uh, and I want to kind of stick with that theme this week. Uh, but before we do that, just kind of as quickly as we can, uh, not because it's not important, but tell us, and for those of our listeners who are not as familiar with you, I know you speak, uh, you and Mike Clayton have a, a weekly uh, recording called The Israel Update that I would encourage everybody to check out uh, if, you're, if you're interested. And if you're listening to this, you should be interested in the land of Israel and what's going on. So check out The, uh, the Israel Update. But for those people that don't know, um, you're a tour guide full-time, that is your occupation, that's your career, uh, and yet you haven't worked since last March, March 21, uh, March 20 of 2020, March 5th, right? March uh, 2020. Right, and Our so kind of give I'm us, sorry. go ahead, I was just going to say, kind of give us a, a you know, a five-minute snapshot of what's going on um, today having to do with the virus. Um, I know we have a new, new, fairly new government instituted that's that's uh yeah. that's trying to work things out and get itself together and right. uh, so kind of give us a five to seven minute of what's happening right now before we kind of move on into our main topic okay um in march of 2020 um israel closed our borders to foreign tourists um now that has meant and we've also gone through three major lockdowns. We're not currently in a lockdown. 
uh, although we're taking quite a beating with this Delta variant. Um, I am not going to address the myriad of, you know, conspiracy theories that mutual friends of ours have. You know, y'all can believe what you want to believe. When you know people that have gotten sick, you can call it anything you want, but they've gotten sick. Now, I am convinced personally that the virus was indeed man-made, indeed came from Wuhan, China. Question is, what do we do now and how do we handle this? Uh, Israel has gone through multiple lockdowns. Our economy was crushed. We have reopened, but not to foreign tourism, which means tour guides like me are going on month number 17 of not being able to work. For a brief period, there was a very, very minimal government assistance. Let me explain what that means so you don't think it's like American unemployment. For tour guides like me, who worked full-time in the field, I got a grant of 1,500 shekels a month for a handful of months. 1,500 shekels divided by the exchange, the current exchange rate of 3.26 puts you at about $480 a month. Um, I know you can sit there and wouldn't take you all very long to figure out what you could spend $480 on. So it's really crushed us. Um, Shops that have depended strictly on tourists uh, have either closed or shuttered their doors temporarily. Um, Hotels have suffered, restaurants, taxi drivers. Uh, But us tour guides, of which there are somewhere between six and 7,000 of us nationwide, uh, have taken, because there's nothing else we can do. Right. Um, you know, our, you know, our, we've had issues with our schools. Um, also, I, I want to stress, there's a big difference between us and the U.S., not just in size, but we have national health care. So I know in the U.S. there were people that were saying that hospitals were recording cases as COVID so they could get more government money. Our guys, our hospitals get the same amount regardless of what you got. Mm. So our healthcare system was truly in danger of collapsing multiple times. Do I wish they would? Now, what I would do is prevent Israelis from going abroad on vacation because they're the ones that come back with all the little buggies. But, you so know, is that, still, is that still allowable? So Israelis can go yeah. out on vacation, just no yeah. external tourists. Now, what's happening, which is really, it's really sick. What's happening is there are countries now that are listed as red you cannot fly to. So, you know, what they've been doing is bending, you know, in other words, okay, so you can't fly to, let's say, Russia. But if you could fly to London, you could catch a flight from London to Moscow. Um, (laughs) You know... We signed an agreement with United Arab Emirates. Israelis, like 40,000 Israelis were flocking to Dubai, coming back with all kinds of variants, all kinds of things. It's been a big issue. Mm. Um, I don't know the next time I'll be able to work. There is no more, even the minimal government assistance has ended. Um, it's, it's, 
it's kind of a scary feeling to go from month to month and not know and not know. Let's just put sure. it that way. Sure. Sure. Uh, well, I know that we, um, last time you were on, oh gosh, it's, it's been a while. It's been a few months. Um, but we, we really, you were only, a, you were only maybe seven or eight months <laughs> into, into, uh, to not being able to work. And, you know, yeah. for here, for here in the States, we've had, we've had folks that have, uh, experienced that, uh, and, and are still ex- experiencing that. We've dealt with it in a variety of different ways that, uh, you know, we get into politics, we'll be here for the next three and a half hours, and, and I'll have that kind of time on the, on the radio. But the, um, the, uh, the gravity of the situation and the, the desperateness, I just want to say you handle it really well, and, um, and even Thank though you, you. you mention it, you know, you mention it, I, I, I hear you mention it when you speak or... Um, I, I, I take that as more of a sign of you just want people to understand what's going on. And, of course, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this again at the end, but uh, I would encourage uh, folks to support you, to go to your website, and we'll, we'll do all that at the end um, because uh, we'll kind of transition into our, what I really wanted to get into with you today because you are, you are probably the only um, – you call yourself traditionally – practicing you can say you can say you can can use the term orthodox you know the problem is people you know have this image in their head if you remember you know some of the early woody allen movies you know annie hall too young too young for that sorry (laughs) man that really hurt joe (laughs) but make a long story short yeah you know the term most people use is orthodox uh but yeah um so you you are and have been for 25, 30 years, been, been really one of the only at least orthodox uh, Jews who is reaching out to, uh, to, non, to non-Jews who especially um, who have some uh, desire or interest in Torah and in the nation of Israel and in the Jewish right. people. Now, I, I want to make a, a distinction for you um, that I, I've seen lately more, uh, more rabbis uh, that are kind of more welcoming and will teach, you know, non-Jews and kind of let them into, you know, that's, some that's relatively some sort new of teaching. That's relatively new, right, correct? Which is relatively new. But you are you are not a rabbi. You don't claim to be a rabbi. As a matter of fact, uh, you, I've heard you on several occasions uh, skirt <laughs> questions or refuse to answer questions because, and and, and I, I respect it. And I'll tell you why because um, you you understand that there is a. There is an authority there that can give certain answers on certain things, and while you are very knowledgeable, you're, you've lived this your entire life. Uh, this is your culture. This is who you are. Um, you you are you're willing to give your opinion on on some things, on most things, and yet you draw a line between this is what we believe, quote unquote, versus this is kind of how I see it. And I really respect that a lot um, because yeah. so many opinions are translated and communicated as authority. And uh, and the way it should be, which is is kind of what I want to get to today. So we um, sure. we have we have read the last <clears throat> couple of weeks. Uh, we've been in Devarim. Uh, last week we were in, we read Vayet Hanan, um, which just Vayet Hanan for me is some partial I study. And some I just want to read over and over and over. And I don't know why, but the last couple of years, Vayet Hanan has been that kind of just want to read it. It's so beautiful and, and uh, the, the promises and just the whole, the whole feeling of it is, is – and then this week we get into Ekev, 
um, which continues to talk about uh, when, when the nation of Israel turns back and they'll find God and, and God will bless them. And it's, it's, it's those things. That, but there's one verse in Vayetchanan last week that we talked about that is the, is the center of much consternation in the Hebrew roots world, in the Ephraimite world. And that is uh, Devarim 4.2, I believe it is, that you shall not add to or take away from the word of God, right? And it's repeated again then uh, several times. It's repeated for, for us in the book of Revelation. Uh, Yeshua deals with it. Do not think I've come oh. to add or take away, right? So it's, it's a kind of a hotspot verse that's found in several, um, several places uh, in both the Hebrew Scriptures and the Christian Bible. And for those of us non-Jews that have come into Torah, or I, I call us Torah pursuant because we're not really we're not keeping Torah, um, and I, I think we'd all do well to remind ourselves of that. We're 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 pursuing some sort of semblance of, of what it might mean and how it might apply. But um, this seems to be a sticking verse for us, and for for me, it's because many of us grew up with a tradition um, that either hid things from us, quote-unquote, maybe intentionally, maybe not intentionally, we don't know, but, but they, they hid things from us, like the Sabbath, um, and, and really things in the, that you look in the Torah and you say, well, it says forever, and so why did we not at least give these things an eye? And so many people are hurt and discouraged and, and, uh, you know, by those things, and so we, we, we come into Torah and um, we talked about this Saturday in our Shabbat uh, live stream, our Shabbat service, but we, you know, no, I don't know any, um, any Ephraimite, any, any Gentile Christian that is pursuing Torah. I don't know anyone, I haven't met anyone in my 15 years almost of, of walking Torah um, who came to this by themselves. And I think this is a really important, important point. Um, I don't know any person that is, is sincerely seeking to follow Torah in whatever, whatever that looks like, who's woke up one day and said, you know, I've got, a, I've got a church that my family has been in for generations. Uh, my whole family, you know, we have our, our traditions and our things that we do and all. Um, let me see how I can completely isolate all of my family. Let's see how I can destroy the, the generational, yeah. Yeah, the generational uh, you know, faithfulness to our church, uh, how I can look like a complete... Uh, an utter aberration as I'm walking through, you know, Walmart or, you know, Market Basket or Albertsons or whatever. I don't know anybody that came to this this way. So for, for, for you know, Jewish folks or, or, or you know, folks in the rabbinate or whatever who would say, well, Torah is not for you, then my first question is, well, then what is this then? How, how did we become drawn to this? And what are we supposed to do with this? Because we didn't we didn't, it's not like we chose it in a sense. Um, and so that, that's one part of it. So given, kind of given that understanding, uh, given that qualification, uh, we look at our Christian tradition and we say, well, that's, they kept things from us. And so what else is out there? And well, what else is out there in the light of Torah is Judaism. And so we kind of start to look into Judaism. We say, well, that's a bunch of tradition also. So then we find ourselves kind of in the middle and then we take verses like Deuteronomy 4.2, like Yeshua's words, and, and those things, and it just kind of solidifies this idea that no one can be trusted because the quote-unquote traditions of men, whatever that means, are, are the really ultimate enemy. So we, we, we have this juxtaposition of tradition versus truth. 
And in my right. humble opinion, I think that's a false uh, that's a false dichotomy. I don't know that that I has totally to, agree to with separate. You. I totally so, agree. So what I, what I wanted you to to talk about a little bit with us um, is from a from a Jewish standpoint, understanding you're not a rabbi, you're not claiming any any smicha, uh, any authority or anything. But just from growing up in this, dealing with with Christians, with non-Jews, and you know, of course, Jews. How do how do the Jewish people see tradition? And we'll talk about some some specific things, but just generally and overall. Okay. First of all, you know, in every conversation that I have, and and as you know, I'm all about mutual respect, mutual respect for the reconciliation restoration of all of Israel. And all of Israel could be loosely defined as anyone who perceives that they too are part of Israel not to the exclusion, God forbid, of their Jewish brothers and sisters, but rather to stand alongside us as all of the Nevi'im, the prophets of Israel, speak up. And let me, let me just jump in real quick. When you say a part of Israel, what does that look like for you? Is that because okay. I just want to cover this I'll, real quick. I'll, is that genetically? Is that bloodline? Is okay. that spiritually? What is, you know, flesh okay. that out for me. I could be really facetious and give the classic tour guide's answer and say, yes. And you'll say, but wait a minute. Which <laughs> the, the the above. I'll just smile <laughs> and say, yes. Uh, and then you know, people walk away and they believe whatever it is that they want to believe. Um, here's the deal. The Nevi'im, the prophets of Israel, spoke about the exile of the northern kingdom, referred to as Israel. Samaria, Ephraim, and Joseph, that one day they would return. Well, if you go back to 1994, when I was a mere lad, I began meeting people who said to me, you know, Hanoch, I think I'm part of Israel. I'm not Jewish, but I think I'm part of Israel. I must be part of the Lost Tribes. And basically, it's a good thing I was wearing a kippah because it held the top of my head down when it exploded, because, I mean, seriously, you know, like, I'm thinking, what kind of drugs could they possibly have taken that would cause them to believe that? And it ties in with part of the narrative that you gave before. Here it is, all of a sudden they began in their, in their studies, starting to realize that Shabbat is eternal and it's Friday night sundown through Saturday night. It was never Sunday. Whoa. That Yeshua, who they grew up thinking was Jesus, his mother definitely called him Yeshua. Yeshua was actually Jewish. I mean, really Jewish. And that ties in with a lot of beliefs about tradition and stuff, which, which we'll get to. Mm. I hope we have the time uh, to cover it. And, you know, all of a sudden, a sense that there's a reason why they have been compelled internally to leave the various and sundry church structures that they had grown up in. And these are not kids. These are generally adults, generally adults. Now, of course, I have at this stage in life, I have a totally different understanding of chronology. Um, when someone's 55, that's post-adolescent. Very, very different 
than, you know, the way I had thought growing up. But let's get right to the, the meat of things. We need to define what tradition means. Now, when you say Torah to a Jewish person, an Orthodox Jewish person, we're, we have an understanding of Torah that we simultaneously received the written Torah, which is the Tanakh, actually the Torah. Torah is part of the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. What Christians disparagingly refer to as the quote-unquote Old Testament. Right. And simultaneously... Let me, and let me jump in. I'm sorry. We're going to wrap this segment really quick. Don't sure. go away, everybody. We'll be back for the next segment right after this. We're talking with Hanok Young all the way from Modain, Israel. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. We are talking to Hanok Young, tour guide extraordinaire, personally a wonderful friend, and uh, uh, just a, a great all-around guy. So, Tor, uh, we were I cut you off in the last uh, segment talking about right. a really important distinction that uh, we, as non-Jews and Jews, use the same word, Torah, and yet we mean two different things. So I think this is a brilliant Actually, point to make. So, yeah. Okay. Go ahead and, so and talk to us when, about that. So to a Jewish person, the Torah, the Torah is, has two, two components to it. There is the written Torah, which is the five books of Moshe, of Moses. The term, you know, the one, again, and I'll, I'll clarify, the one that Christians disparagingly refer to as Old Testament. And by the way, that term is a tremendous diss. I know growing up, you know, in the church, people didn't think of it that way, but it show enough is. And the Torah Alpeh, the oral law. Now, when I say oral law to most Christians, their heads explode. Boom! Because it's a concept. Now, the Torah by itself is written as if it were in shorthand when it comes to explaining how to do things. Sometimes it'll explain things like on Sukkot, you build a booth, uh, you take the four species, you know, you know, this, uh, this myrtle thing, this, this, this etrog, this, you know, okay. Well, but then there are other things that aren't clarified. We have a chain of tradition from generation to generation that has passed this on. Now, before someone says, well, you mean to tell me that that 26-volume English Hebrew of the Talmud that they have on the shelf is... No. The Talmud comprises the Mishnah, the Oral Law, which is very concise, and grade school kids memorize it, boys. 
um, in particularly in the ultra orthodox community. You have the rabbinic commentary on that, which is called the Gemara. Then you have the Talmud also encompasses various stories, historical anecdotes, which is called the Agadah. All of that makes the Talmud, all of that in English, Aramaic and Hebrew makes about 26 volumes. It's big. (laughs) That's not the oral law. Okay. Along with that, now, so we don't consider the oral law traditions. We consider it halakha, law. This is how we understand how we do things. When we're told, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, we need a definition of what is keeping it holy mean. You know, for some people... I think that's a great point. Yeah, we, no. we talk about, um, you know, I, I give this little personal testimony that when um, I grew up Southern Baptist and if, if you ever forgot what we believed, you could walk out in the foyer and it wasn't scripture, it was our statement of faith, right? Our, our right. main points of interest, right? That had a little scriptural reference, a little proof text, whatever. Um, and then I went from that to a more charismatic type of, of tradition and where we didn't really, you kind of believed whatever worked in the moment. You, you know, very like prosperity gospel stuff and, and all this, you know, all, all these things that, <clears throat> anyway, very, very interpretive, very open to interpretation, which, which I can appreciate in some ways. And so I was so disillusioned by the difference between those two traditions in the same Christianity that when I found Torah, it was like, I mean, I, I can't express how it was like water to my soul because I thought right. here, here's a list of things that God wants me to do that I know he'll be pleased with. And it's simple. It's laid out in black and white. There's, there's 613 do's and don't do's. And if I, if I learn those and do those, then it's like the Bible actually gives us those instructions. How amazing is that? And then much to my dismay, I started to actually study them. And you take Shabbat, right? Well, to keep it holy is a great one. I, I never even you know, really considered that, but do no work on Shabbat. Well, that's great uh, until you start the discourse about what is work, right? And so my understanding went from that the Torah is very black and white, and any idiot sitting on a church pew should be able to realize why it's necessary for them as a Christian. I went from that to going like, I don't even know what I got myself into because uh, because it's it shorthand is a, I say it's not black and white it's a lot of gray but shorthand is a, is a great way to put it um, and so okay. you said something really interesting to me that the that the the uh, the Talmud or the Mishnah is not oral law or you said the, okay, uh, the Mishnah okay when we say oral law people think oral law he's saying the Talmud okay the right. Mishnah the oral law the Mishnah is a very small part of the Talmud, but it's the right. Mishnah that's the oral. Now, also when I talk As about... the halakha you were talking about, right? Yes. Yes, the halakha. Now, yeah. the halakha and the discussions of the great rabbinic sages of the various eras. And again, here's a, word, a, a moment of caution. When you hear, well, the rabbis decided... These were the most brilliant men of the generation. This isn't Rabbi Schwartzberg in Baton Rouge or Rabbi Cohn in Houston. You know, this isn't 
This isn't some, you know, young guy that graduated Yeshiva University and has been a rabbi for five years and, you know, now is starting to get some whiskers. No, 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 no. So there's a big difference. But what does this mean? And, you know, I'm trying to talk in shorthand and I'm hoping that I won't confuse people. For the Jewish people, we have never been sola scriptura. It has never been just the text of the five books of Moshe. Now, that's a huge difference. And where does it come out so readily apparent to me? The people that I deal with mostly are people like yourself, Joe, like Mm -hmm. Heather, people who've come from Christian backgrounds who feel drawn for a variety of reasons to the Torah to their Jewish brothers and sisters, again, not to convert. And, you know, I'm very clear about that. Sure. Uh, sure and drawn are. to Israel. And they, they can't even explain why they are. Well, let me clarify a few things. I've gotten an enormous amount of clarification in my head since Sukkot, this past Sukkot. I was sitting alone in my sukkah. Israel was in its second lockdown. And I got this very strong sense that I was to be prepared. I still can't tell you exactly what that means, but it led me to an enormous amount of study. And people are drawn to the Hebraic roots, Messianic believing world because of their beliefs in Yeshua. And I believe one of their main challenges in understanding the Torah is they don't understand Yeshua and the milieu, the background that he grew up in. They don't think of a line of continuity between Yeshua and everyone that has come in the Jewish people in the last 2,000 years. They look at the sayings of Yeshua recorded in the Gospels. Now, of course, the Gospels were heavily edited. I think anyone can see that. But you can glean from it what Yeshua was trying to teach. And it seems so radically different from what Christians call the Old Testament. Because they're totally unfamiliar and unaware of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're unaware of the six or 700 years of Jewish life that were recorded, the halachic discourse, that was written down from the time, let's say, of the book of Daniel, of Daniel, until the actual canonization of the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. We don't have time to go into it now. You'll have to take my word for it. But Yeshua was never sola scriptura, Mm. which is, again, why so many of his sayings, people say, well, it's so radically different. It's so not like Jewish things. And, Y'all are confusing yourself. Yeah, and, and if we're honest with ourselves as, you know, whatever we call ourselves, Christians, Hebrew rooters, whatever, neither are we. I mean, we're, we like to claim this thing about sola scriptura, but there's an interesting thing that happens when you're trying to obey the, the teachings of the Bible is that it, this darndest thing, it intersects with real life. And 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 in a text, hate when that happens. Hate when that happens. Yeah, in a a text is ideal, but when it 
interacts with the dynamic, you know, ebbs and flows of real life, um, then it has to be understood in certain, and applied in certain ways. And I, I made the statement Saturday, which I fully believe, that every single person that opens their, their Bible um, and reads more than two words, we all like to say, well, I'm just reading it for what it says. No, you're not. Every one of us is interpreting as we read, whether that's based on a, right. uh, a tradition of, of, of understanding the sages and the way they interpret, or whether it's your Sunday morning preacher or whatever. We're all interpreting in an effort to apply, and okay. that's, the, that's the point. It ties in, and I think I've shared these stories with you in the past, it ties in to me with Sukkot. Guy came up to me and asked me, he said, so what do y'all do for Sukkot? Do y'all go camping? Now, camping out on Sukkot is a huge thing in the Hebrew Roots movement. And I've spoken very favorably of it because I think it's a great opportunity for team building and community building. It does not exist in the Jewish world for a lot of reasons, not the least of which in the Orthodox Jewish community Every single family has their own sukkah, and they invite mm -hmm. friends, and then they have relatives coming. It's a whole big thing. Okay. So when the question of, do y'all go camping? I explained, no, we don't. Well, what do you do? So I said, well, in the Torah, it states very clearly about building a booth. We eat all of our meals in there. We do our time of recreation there, our study our Torah study there in the sukkah. There are people, families that actually even sleep in the sukkah. What else do you do? So I said, well, in the Torah, it commands us to take the four species. You know, the lulav, the etrog, the hadasim, the aravot. Forgive me for forgetting the English names. Uh, the myrtle yeah. leaves, the willow, the palm oh. branch, and the mm -hmm. citron. Something like that. Growing up yep. in the Bronx, we never spoke, you know, we spoke something similar to English. So, you know, I, I get confused with the terms. <laughs> so I'm explaining, you know, and again, I'm not giving, this is not Torah Balped. This is not oral law. This is strictly, strictly in the text of the Torah. And the guy looked at me with an uncomprehending look on his face and said, yeah, but y'all go camping. So for him, Sukkot was about the tradition created solely in the Hebrew roots community in the last 20 years of going camping. That ties in with another story. A dear friend sent to me, well, you build these Sukkot, which are covered with fabric and, you know, bamboo branches on the top. Aren't you afraid of fire? So I said, well, why would there be fire near it? So because of the campfires, I said, what campfires? You know, I put it, I put my sukkah on my, on my, on, on my, balcony. My, yeah. my terrace on my balcony. Like right. what, what do you, what fires? How can you have Sukkot if you don't have campfires? Again, something that now there's nothing wrong with a community camping out over Sukkot. I happen to know for a fact that when Out of Ashes Ministries has their Sukkot, when they're all Sukkotin together, 
use a little Mike Clayton term, Sukkotan, um, y'all build, you know, communal and larger and family and small. Yeah, there's no reason you can't do both. And there's nothing wrong with having a campfire and roasting s'mores or marshmallows, the kosher ones, of course, and, you know, whatever else. That is not, however, part of the requirement of the Chag, of the holiday. There's nothing wrong with it. And when people say, well, you know, is it written like, like with cel- like I loved is another thing. You, you know, you can't celebrate your birthdays. You say, well, you know, where is it written in scripture? That, so, I, so I asked this guy once, he, he confronted me. I was speaking, I think in Oregon. And I asked him, I said, um, do you tie your shoes? I said, what? I said, do you know? And then I, then I felt like, you know, Dory, you know, literally like, you know, why speak well? <laughs> do you know? Your... And he's like, yeah, what is that? I said, wait, 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 wait. Where in scripture does it even hint that it's permissible to tie your shoes? I was going to give him the example of indoor toilets, but I figured, you know what? It was a family audience and there was no reason to go there. <laughs> but I said something to you before, when we, before we went on the air, and I'm really convinced of this. Either you observe some kind of tradition, like a campfire, or you make up your own traditions. Everybody, everybody deals with some kind of interpretation. In some communities, what they do on Shabbat or what they don't do on Shabbat is not the same in another community that also defines themselves as Hebrew roots. Now, also, let me tell you something about the difference with synagogues. Almost every church that I've ever looked into online has what you described, a statement of faith. We believe this. We don't believe that. Are you guys aware that there isn't a synagogue, a Beit Knesset in the entire world that has anything similar? We don't. And and again, now we get into the bigger difference between the Christian view and the Jewish view. This is not one isn't better or worse than the other. It's different. Christians have grown up with the idea that what's most important is right belief. I've got to believe in the right things. In the Jewish world, we grow up with y'all got to be doing the right things. Yeah, great. Yeah, great point. Now, again, it's also the way we tend to look at things. And when people say, well, don't you believe it? it belief is all important. To Jewish ears, that's kind of like blah, blah, blah. What, 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 what are you asking me about? Why does it matter what I believe? So yeah, it's the difference it between creates a level of disconnect between us. Right. The the belief in our in our world, the Christian world, as in <clears throat> mental assent. There's there's a if you simply understand that something is true, that's to your credit, that's all you that's all you need. Um and yet the but we and we think that in a Christian in a in a religious context, but we don't treat our kids that way, right? In Christian homes, if a if a kid says, "Yeah, I understand my room needs to be clean," I, yeah, I get it. 
but they don't do it, we whip their butts. <laughs> well, we do in the South, I guess. I don't, I don't know. And so it's so funny how we we have this thought religiously. We think these things, and we don't even do those things in real life. There's there's a disconnect even amongst us. Because belief, quote-unquote, is something that's required in church. The goal of a... Well, I, I won't even touch upon the goal of the structure of church or Christian lifestyle. Let me just share with you, because our our listeners may not know this. The goal of a Jewish person is what's called tikkun olam, repairing the world. We are given the responsibility to make this world a slightly better place than it was before we came into it. We don't have to take over the world. We don't want the world to be Jewish. We don't require the world to be Jewish. But we're supposed to make things better. Right, now, yeah. that could we, we talk about tikkun olam oh, a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we talk about tikkun olam a lot. And, the, and I mean, I just, it's a concept that I didn't know necessarily growing up, but it's one that's radically changed my life. I want to go back really quick to the idea of synagogue. And you, you don't have statements of faith. But you do have minhagim from synagogue to synagogue. Okay. And can you talk yes. a little bit about what that looks like? Okay. Well, it's interesting. The There are different customs. Minha, a, a minhag is a custom of different communities in the world. Uh, I'll give you a funny example. At the end of the service, there's a prayer called the Alenu. The Alenu prayer. To go into what the prayer is, is is irrelevant for the story. But this guy was visiting some obscure Jewish community in some corner of Europe. And when they got to the Alenu prayer, they all turned around, faced the back wall and said the prayer. Which is not done in any other synagogue in the world. He thought to himself, whoa, dude, this is amazing. Well, it turns out in the era when there wasn't a ready supply of prayer books, they took a poster of the Elenu prayer and put it up on the back wall. So when it came time for people to say it, they needed to turn around. So it could be as simple as that. Different right. communities of Sephardic origin, Jews who originated years back in Spain and Portugal and in the Balkans and in North Africa, have slightly different customs than Jews in Eastern Europe. Those are really, really minor things. It's the same Sefer Torah. It's the same Torah scroll. It's the same basic prayers. The pronunciation may be a little different. Uh, So, you know, I I would describe them as sort of local nuances. Right. But I think that's important. Like us say y'all, Joe. We say y'all. Right. Right. And it's important. Uh, so kind of we've got about three minutes left. I want to get to I mean, we, we don't certainly haven't solved the tradition debate um, for for sure, but hopefully given some folks some things to think about. Let's talk about where the main kind of, in my opinion, the main problem with tradition can come in if we don't view it correctly. And that's what we're, we're trying to change our view of tradition. Right. Where tradition is weaponized. 
is, is the only way I'll militarize, I guess is the way I'll say it. Now, for us that are coming into Torah, I, what I hear you saying, it's okay for you to have your traditions. Just don't come to older brother and tell us, well, y'all are doing it wrong. This is how it should be done because we know better. The, the problem is, and, and again, we've got like a minute and a half. Uh, the problem is that we don't want to take criticism or correction from Judah, but Judah's the one who was tasked with preserving this. So it's not an equal, it's not an equal footing as we would like to, to think it is. So, so I'll give you the last word, 30 seconds, and then I'll plug your website okay. before we go. Okay, my advice to folks is y'all who follow Yeshua, you say it all the time. So go back to what would Yeshua do? Investigate the sources that Yeshua learned 2,000 years ago. Very good. Understand the world as he understood it, as a Jew, as an Israeli Jew, in the land of Israel, teaching and studying Torah with other Jewish people. Wonderful. Another show, another time, another day would be all about how that became universalized, who did it and why. But it wasn't Yeshua's initial message, which was for the northern kingdom of Israel, you know, but very good. Save that for another day. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. We're out of time. I will leave links to your website, Facebook, all your various uh, social media platforms. We love you, Hanuk, and we value um, your voice so very, very much. Thank you so much. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, Joe.